0: post the super hot <laughs> denim jacket photos that we took for our promo well over i guess i shouldn't say well over it's been uh not quite a year ago oh my god it feels like it's been years since <laughs> <laughs> my friendship with you feels like it's been 84 years <laughs> I, feel like I feel
2: like i'm elderly <laughs> That's crazy. It hasn't even been a year. No, because
0: we did those in, like, October. I
2: know. It feels like it's been years, year or so. I know.
0: I feel like I've known you for
2: a lifetime. It also feels like I've just lived, like...
0: So many lived, lives. I've like, enough
2: of, of life in this past year. Like, <laughs> I've lived enough of life this past year. Like... Like the emotional trauma the emotional damage just accounts for like a decade it's like it's like starting to wear on me like i'm seeing gray hairs starting to see little wrinkles like shit it's like emotional damage takes its toll on the body you know
0: it it really does i can completely second that but to be fair it's not gonna be that bad after this that's true. Think about everything you've lived through and succeeded <sighs> and survived. I know. It's true.
2: It's so true. It's funny because my I'm with my parents right now in Italy and they were like, you know, joking about, you know, these, you know, you know how Italian men are whenever you go anywhere. Like they're always, you know, just the female gaze and mm-hmm. or the male gaze, whatever it's called. They're always just, you know, being flirty and whatever. And my parents were like, "So, do you see yourself like dating anytime soon?" And I'm just like, "No." <laughs> I'm like, "Like, I'm emotion. not ready. I'm, I'm terrified." No. What did you say last last episode? It was like, "We're either looking for love, we're in love, or, or we're running running from the it. other way,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or trying not to fuck it up." That's what it was. It was four that, things: in love, okay. running from love trying not to fuck it up what was the other one looking for it oh yeah looking for it looking for it it. in it running running from it it, or just trying not to fuck it up i'm still running (laughs) i'll keep everyone posted though but circling back can i post our denim jacket photos
2: yes i give you full permission
0: i give you full permission
2: um i don't know where the link is but i'll find it for you
0: (laughs) okay good (laughs) Are you posting it for my birthday? That's what I wanted to do.
2: <laughs> That's really cute. Because you're I feeling thirty-two.
0: Hell, hell, yes, I am. I'm excited to
2: be thirty-two. I'm like ready. Thirty-one ready was my...
0: thirty-one was a well, yeah, thirty-one. No, thirty-one was a badass year because you met me. True. In true, real true, life, true. we started a podcast. We are, yes. we are growing. We are healing. You are living it up in Italy right now. It's true. You are feeling the get warmth much better than and I, than love right now. and support of the WOMET fam. You have like a kick-ass family and kick-ass friend group. You're so right, Dee. I have so
2: much to be grateful for. I'm I'm excited. I'm in a really good place now and I'm really excited for,
0: I'm really excited for
2: 32.
0: I think there's some good, more more and more good things to come. Good. Also trying not to be toxic positivity right now, but. More of like pep talk than anything. Well, I can't help it because I just feel so inspired from today's conversation.
2: Like, I feel like right? I can just go save the world right now. I don't know about you.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Dr. Ade Ashanubi, my freaking goodness graced the podcast today with her creative talent, her brilliant brain, her gorgeous face. And I. I'm so thrilled to bring her on the Walmart. I've been wanting to get her on here for so long, and we finally made it happen. I'm so excited for you guys to all enjoy. Ade. Ade, I have been so excited to get you on the podcast because I love, I love creative humans right and i love creativity in medicine because we're so pigeonholed and I, this is a rant I go on all the time and people are probably like yeah yeah we get it like doctor and nurse and but it's true you know we get so pigeonholed into these labels right like our identity is completely consumed in being a doctor or being a student or being a nurse or being a parent that i feel like people really forget that there's more to themselves And I just love having, you know, brilliant minds on like yours that are complete proof that you are more than just one thing, and you can be really freaking good at more than one thing. So welcome to the WOMED. (laughs) Thank you. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Love uh, the work that you all do. Um, And yeah, I really resonate with that point you brought up on the importance of at least having like interests outside of medicine or medicine adjacent interests, because it can be really hard to be in the medical field and having those interests and passions outside of it um, can really help fuel you through those challenging times. For
0: sure. Which came first, like your love for film or your love for medicine or photography? So for me, I knew
1: I wanted to be a doctor from a young age since I was about five years old. Um, My mom's also a doctor. And so, you know, I grew up with that influence and wanted to, you know, emulate her in every way that I could. And so naturally I picked her career. And so for me, it was medicine that came first. My interest in photography and film started in high school when I was in like 10th grade or so. I started a nonprofit organization with one of my friends uh, to help women who have suffered from obstetric fistula. For those of you who don't know, it's a birth injury caused by prolonged labor, oftentimes happening, like occurring to women in low resource settings. And so it was around that time when I started getting into photography and film because we decided we wanted to create a documentary about obstetric fistula, specifically the rehabilitation, psychosocial rehabilitation of women who've um, had this condition. And so we actually went to Northern Ethiopia to volunteer at the um, center that we were working with and also to create this film. And then I was doing a lot of the photography work as well. Um, So that's kind of how I got
0: started. God, that's so cool.
2: Wow. What drew you to that specifically? Was there like a, a patient experience or a story that you heard or what exactly drew you to that specific area?
1: Yeah. So for me, I went to a medical conference with my mom. It was like one summer I went with her and it was the Association of Nigerian Physicians of the Americas. And so they were focusing on various maternal health issues that summer. And so they talked about um, like obstetric hemorrhage, female genital mutilation. And then also they talked about obstetric fistula. And so I was interested in all of those topics. Um, and I started doing research and then also, you know, there were some documentaries already out there about obstetric fistula, but not many that were focusing on, you know, what happens after obstetric fistula is repaired, because oftentimes women can be um, ostracized from their communities and oftentimes abandoned. And so we felt like there was a need to focus on that aspect
0: of obstetric fistula. Is your mom in obstetrics then, or no? She started off as an anesthesiologist, and then okay. She- to
1: occupational and environmental health. And so now she works mainly with veterans. She works at the VA and she works with um, veterans who've had various exposures of the military mm-hmm. and um, you know, helping them through their health conditions and also like advocating for them as well. Do you think there's a future documentary in that? Oh, that's a good question. I think that is definitely an important area. I think when it comes to the military though, it can be very touchy and kind of hard to navigate and so i'm not sure i would be the one to cover that but i do think it is something that's important there is something i think i watched something on netflix that wasn't focused specifically on the military but it did highlight people who have been in the military and were suffering from chronic illness like gulf war illness and things of that nature but yeah
2: I'm such a documentary junkie myself. I think it's such a great medium to like teach the masses about areas that they're not really familiar with. Like what you're talking about, it reminds me of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or if this was like around the same timeline, but there was a book called Half the Sky. And then there was like a, a documentary that I think was associated with it. I think maybe some things came out about it like later on that just weren't um, like, I, I don't know. I, I think that there were some issues with it overall, but I remember watching that when I was really young, like in like middle school or early high school, but I can't, how old were you when you, when you got into this? Cause you're saying you started a nonprofit. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> when did you start this nonprofit?
1: I was, um, entering my junior year of high school. So I was about 16. Oh my gosh. So you were definitely a shoot. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Medical <laughs> schools
2: were like, should have been calling you like, Hey,
0: hey, girl, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah every I feel like everyone was like after you like no oh. we need <laughs> we need a no like we need are. we need oh, <laughs> right
2: I'm so curious what that first experience was like one with the photography and then getting your feet in. like I would have no idea how to go about starting a documentary and then traveling mm-hmm. as well at a young age like what was
1: all of that like Yeah. So I think overall, it was a great experience. We worked with one woman named Allison Shigo, who is the founder of the Healing Hands of Joy Foundation, which is the foundation we were working with. And they support the psychosocial rehabilitation of women who have had obstetric fistula. They also work to train midwives to educate
2: Mm.
1: other midwives and also delivered skilled obstetrical care in rural areas in hopes to, you know, decreasing the incidence of obstetric fistula. And so she was really integral to our um, being able to go to Ethiopia. She, you know, had lived there, like she would live there half the year, live in New York the other half the year. And she took us under her wing. And so that's how we were able to really pull it off. She had some experience with documentary film. Like she actually has won an Emmy, I believe, um, that she worked on. And so she, you know, knew the industry and was able to connect us with someone who taught us how to edit and things of that nature. So that's kind of how we were able to pull it off.
0: Oh, my God. And uh, you apparently did an amazing job pulling it off. You've been featured in Forbes, Washington Mm -hmm. Post, Glamour Magazine, as you rightly should. Like, I love seeing all of your like videos and stuff come through on Instagram, especially. Um, Are they... Your two friends or, or family, oh, yeah. like oh <laughs> my like the three of you uh, get keep getting reposted by all these other accounts I follow. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like I just I feel like I see your face everywhere on my feed. Oh my goodness.
1: Den and Tanisha are great. We, you know, were at Brown for eight years. All three of us were in this eight-year medical program called the program in liberal medical education at a mouthful. And so Sven and I were, you know, really close starting off from undergrad. We lived in the same Uh, freshman dorm. And then Tanisha and, uh, you know, we started living with her in medical school and became closer to her. So it's,
0: it's been a great journey so far. Everyone needs a community to get through. Uh, I mean, I had like a very core group of, of girls that got me through nursing school. And I feel like that's the same thing for medical school. Like you have to have your people when you're going through something so stressful <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and time-consuming yeah. and yeah oh that's beautiful but well, I I love seeing you guys reposted everywhere I want to talk about the black motherhood through the lens this is like like I feel like the biggest documentary that you've you've done to date mm-hmm, mm-hmm. picked up by multiple film festivals you've won mm-hmm. a bunch of awards for it too And you, you were literally director, executive, (laughs) or producer. You Uh, did the audio. You did like everything. mm -hmm. And oh my, I yeah, I feel like I'm just I'm fangirling so hard. But how did you balance creating this while also being in school? Like you were you you were in med school while you you filmed Mm -hmm. this whole thing. You followed four different women. Oh my god, and 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 like the different aspects of it, like you covered, like you covered infertility, you cover postpartum depression, you cover being a a black mother in in America facing all of the the whiteness that clouds the entire medical community. I mean, because you're not in obstetrics right now, right? Like your your passion's like emergency medicine, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you have such a passion for women. Mm-hmm. How did you find time to to do this? For me, I started creating Black Motherhood through the lens,
1: starting from my first year of medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am an emergency medicine resident right now, um, but I still am really interested in women's health. At a time, I thought I was going to go into ob but didn't really feel like surgery was the field for me. We can get into that a little bit later, but... For me, I started this, you know, February of my first year of medical school, there was a lot of media attention about the maternal mortality crisis, but not too much media attention about other aspects of reproductive health Mm -hmm. that Black women can have uh, disproportionate negative outcomes in, such as infertility, postpartum, mood, and anxiety disorders, etc., and so I started February, uh, did some research, and then started recruiting, mainly through like the birth activist space in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I was connected to, I believe, two women through that space who were great. And one of them actually wanted to be my film, Shailene Costa. And the first segment I actually worked on was with uh, Dr. Ujoma Kola, um, she is a social media entrepreneur, um, PhD and professor, um, where she talked about her experience with infertility. I had actually taken her, I used to take her pictures back in the day because she has a blog. So I used to take her photos. And then I remember like that pa- that past May, um, she posted on her, her Instagram like her, that she was experiencing infertility. This was like Mother, Mother's Day. And so I reached out to her that summer to see if she'd be willing to be in my documentary, and uh, she did. So that was the first film that I worked on. And then right after that was uh, Shin Benjamin, who I was connected to via a physician in Providence. She was like, oh, I have a friend who's nine months pregnant. Like, you should see if she's available. And she was. And then after that, I started filming Shailene, who also talked about infertility, but more so the access portion because she didn't have insurance at the time when she was experiencing infertility and I really wanted that story to come through because that's a lot of people's experience and they can't necessarily afford assisted reproductive technology such as IVF etc and then lastly was Jamie Potter Rutledge uh that I was able to film her maybe a year and a half after that so this was like this was 2020 fall 2020 or so after the pandemic hit because I had to like Mm. take a hiatus to study for STEP. And then also the pandemic, because before I used to be able to go in people's homes freely, follow them around, not worrying about masks. And then with the pandemic, you know, had to shift and pivot like everyone else did. And so I filmed her story. I reached out to her on Facebook, um, because I saw she had like recently had a baby. So I was curious, like, what her postpartum experience had been like. And she revealed to me that With her first child seven years ago, she actually experienced postpartum depression. So that's kind of how those relationships really came to be and how the film came to be. In terms of balancing it as a medical student, I get that question a lot. For me, the way I was able to do it is that, you know, I wasn't creating this film every single day and going to film every single day, right? There were some weeks where I was like, okay, one day I'm going to, after class, I'm going to go and... Film the interview in the morning before I go to class. I'm gonna film B-roll of their morning routine, for example. So I was able to like create a schedule that worked for them and worked for me. And then what was helpful was that you know I edit myself as well. And so whenever I had time, I'd sit down and edit, throw it together. And then I had a really amazing, well, two really great mentors. One that I really worked closely with, um, Dr. Teresa Schrader, um, who was really instrumental to the process would watch the films give me advice and things of that nature so I would say the passion that I had for the topic um, really helped me co- like continue and finish it while I'm at school because it definitely wasn't easy there were definitely some hiccups along the road but kind of remembering why I was doing it why it was important and um, things of that nature I think helped me helped me you know create the film. I,
2: yeah, I'm just so blown away. And the fact that you were able to do this during medical school is just such a testament to how, I think, how passionate you are about this topic. But I'm curious, with with being so deep in the women's health field and, and approaching the film from so many different aspects of Black maternal health, from infertility to postpartum and all the way through, I want to hear more about why you were drawn to emergency medicine and maybe some of like the reasons why you... Turned away from OB or from L and
1: This is a question I got a lot on the residency interview trail. So for me, oh, I'm
2: sorry for bringing up oh.
1: really <laughs> stressful times. Oh no, no, no! It's actually a good question. I was just saying, like, I'm prepared because I've gotten this question. A lot, so <laughs> yeah, you're ready. Let's hear yeah, it. No, it's a good thing. <laughs> so for me, I decided to go into emergency medicine in June of my fourth year of medical school, which is on the later side. For me, I. Started considering it mainly because I didn't see myself as a surgeon. The lifestyle of OB-GYN, I don't, didn't really feel like fit in with the lifestyle I wanted to live. Um, although OB is an amazing field and, you know, props to the folks who go into it because it's very much necessary and needed. So for me, I started thinking about emergency medicine actually while I was on my OB rotation because I was like, hmm, I'm not really sure if I with this. You know, I like the fast pace aspect, but don't love the surgery. And there was also a medical student on the rotation with me who was going into emergency medicine. So I started picking his brain, you know, asking him questions, et cetera. And then I also kind of thought back, you know, there's a lot of physicians that I like followed on Twitter or I'd see, you know, as medical correspondents um, on various news networks that happen to be emergency medicine physicians. And I was like, hmm, maybe they're, you know, I'm onto something. And then I think what really sealed the deal for me was when June of my fourth year, I took this Sex and Gender Acute Care Elective, which was under the Department of Emergency Medicine with mm. a woman named Dr. Allison McGregor, who does a lot of great work, sex and gender work. And you know, some of her areas of focus are, you know, how women may present differently uh, with heart attacks compared to men and how that might impact care. And seeing how sex and gender plays out in care differences is one aspect. Um, And so she was really inspiring because I was like, oh, maybe I can do women's health with emergency medicine. Um, And I just saw her being able to do that. She writes books. She gives TED Talks. Um, And so that was really encouraging to me. And I also felt like there's so much area for growth in terms of women's health and emergency medicine that I feel like I could make a difference in. And so that's kind of how I chose it. And then also, you know, just being passionate about social issues and how in an the emergency department, you know, you're seeing a lot of these social issues um, firsthand and you're having the ability to care for the underserved as well. Obviously you don't do that nobody, but in terms of the ED, like you're not turning anyone away if they don't have insurance.
0: I'm curious if that instructor in class kind of spurred your uh, recent publication in the American Academy of Pediatrics for young Black girls going through puberty earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, that actually
1: materialized while I was on my pediatrics rotation because I, you know, in medical school, I'm not sure if they did this in nursing school, but, you know, sometimes they'll ask you, oh, you know, create like a five minute talk about this, this topic to present on rounds. And so I talked about precocious puberty and how race is oftentimes listed as a risk factor for precocious puberty and how I felt that was problematic also in terms of, you know, being taught that Black girls achieve puberty at earlier ages than white girls and how that can perpetuate various social structures such as adultification bias, which is seeing Black kids as older than, you know, their married other counterparts. And so I presented that uh, to my team on rounds. And then I was working with this resident. Uh, she's triple board. Um, so <laughs> <What>? <laughs> great. Her name's Paula. And she really encouraged me to continue the conversation and like write it up. And she connected me with Dr. Lisa Swartz-Tobor. I don't know if I switched her with last name, but she is a pediatric endocrinologist. And so, you know, that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And she was really integral in making sure that like this paper was published because it was definitely like a arduous process, multiple revisions. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of like scientific writing in general. Um, So both of them were really encouraging as well in the process.
2: You're definitely more of a creative soul. The scientific writing is not, it's It's a struggle.
0: It's a struggle. (laughs) You're in your residency now. You've started yes. this. Mm-hmm. What's your hope with the Black Motherhood through through the lens? Is there are there more festivals that can be submitted to, or that you're waiting to hear back on? Or so for Black Motherhood, for the lens right now, um, I
1: haven't submitted to any more festivals because it costs money. You know, it's been in mm-hmm. some, some. Okay. Happy- I think for me, the next step is figuring out a home for it, right? Like Mm -hmm. I envisioned, you know, it being picked up or, you know, shown on some type of broadcast network, which is still a possibility, but I'm also really open to it just being available on YouTube for multiple people to be able to um, access it. So right now I've been doing private screenings with organizations, you know, some schools have reached out to me. So far it's had 26 private screenings. Wow. Um, amazing. Yeah, so I'm hoping to, planning to just continue that. And then I'm hoping in April, 2023 to have some sort of public release, whether that be in, you know, collaboration with an organization or, you know, just having it out there for the world to see. Um, I hope it's used as a resource in some ways mm-hmm. um, for organizations, hospitals, schools, et cetera, to better understand the experiences that Black women go through in the reproductive healthcare space. Um, I hope it's a resource for Black women specifically. That's my primary goal. It's that it's for Black women to see themselves on screen, to know that they're, experience- they're not alone in their experiences. So that's my hope right now. In terms of, you know, the transition between medical school and residency, I haven't had enough time or bandwidth to pour into, like, looking into April 2023, but I'm hoping
0: over the next couple of months that I'll be able to solidify something. Personally, I would love to see, I feel like this film really needs to become a part of of academic institutions. Mm-hmm. Um in especially for uh, obstetrics and it should be part of the curriculum like you should have to to watch this film and and like you said I think that'd be so great if you know it were it were part of the like even available in obstetric offices and just so patients can patients can see themselves represented Mm-hmm. I, I i want i want to I want to push this thing everywhere, so like whatever we can do to yeah, that's great. great please, please let us know. We'll link to um the website and everything like that too, in the show notes for you because okay. yeah, the the fact that that black moms are still at such a high risk of death and infertility and the discrepancies are just so, I just want everyone to be able to have a safe birth. I want everyone to feel seen and feel safe with their providers. And um, I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly valuable and so needed. You know, I I wish this wasn't a thing, but, you know, at least, you know, now with people definitely shedding more light on racial discrepancies I feel like people are finally starting to listen and trying to incorporate and trying to make these lasting changes. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just very grateful for everything that you're doing and the time that you're taking to educate everybody.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And again, it would not be possible without the four women in the film mm-hmm. who you know, share their experiences with the world and were just vulnerable with us mm-hmm. uh, because it definitely wasn't easy.
2: I just also love that you are in emergency medicine because I I think that there's this misconception about having to specialize in certain things and people don't realize how really much a lot of primary care you're going to be doing and how much OB stuff you're going to be doing in the ER and how how much people um, receive their primary care in the ED in this country because of racial health disparities. Mm -hmm. You are so young. You have so much ahead of you in your career, I think the ED is such a great place, especially for like a creative mind too, because it Mm -hmm. sounds like, you know, it's like, I can resonate with that a little bit similarly with you. I think with that creative mind, like we just have like that, that need to just like, you get so interested with so many different things mm-hmm. that like, you know, this decade, maybe it's women's health next mm-hmm. decade, you know, maybe it's addressing like respiratory conditions and asthma in relation to health disparities that you'll see in the ER, you know, you see so many different things. And I just think that that's so inspiring for other people to hear that you're you've taken this path because You really have opened up your horizons to affect so many different people and bring attention to so many different issues with your mediums of film and photography. It's just so inspiring.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Is there anything that, you know, I know I, I cannot imagine how difficult the transition is from med school to... (laughs) <laughs> to actually working as Bless like your soul. a doctor right now. Um, is there any advice that you would offer anyone in your position right now or who is maybe about to embark on, you know, the same journey right now, like starting to work at the bedside and get to wear your white coat all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, I definitely need advice myself.
1: Um, but, you know, as someone who's recovering from burnout, I would say, you know, paying attention to like what your body needs and it's okay not to be doing a million things all the time, which I'm guilty of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes, you know, actually Dr. Swart told me this at the end of medical school when I met with her and she was like, you know, some days it's like accomplishment, if all you do is get out of bed, go to work, like that's fine, you know, versus, you know, doing X, Y, Z and writing this and producing this. And so, you know, her words really rang true recently. Um, and then I'd also say like, value your patient's stories, um, because, you know, that's what really can lead you to a diagnosis or helping them feel better, etc. Um, And there's just so much value in them too, because, you know, you might come across some patients who might not be the most um, friendly or might not be the most, you know, wanting to engage with you because of their circumstance, but just really trying to remember like their humanity, I think is important. It's challenging just as a medical professional because, you know, burnout and just, you know, having to deal with so many different things, especially in the ED, for example, It can be easy to like dehumanize folks, but I think like something that I'm really trying to do every day is recognizing the humanity in patience.
0: That's beautiful.
2: And I'm sure that comes through your films with your storytelling. Like it it circles right back to the storytelling that you bring through film. It's just so beautiful. Thank you.
0: Yeah. uh, Seconding Jack there. I mean, I feel like that just your creativity and, and light and passion for that and, and the human experience is just gonna is making you such a world class doctor. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you are so needed I know. in this. Oh world. my God. Like- I'm
2: like so just blown away. I'm like I just don't even know what to say. I'm like, I'm just so blown away. Like when's your TED talk? Like when are you gonna be <laughs> yes. on TV? When are we gonna see you on Oprah? Like honestly. <laughs>
0: Well, Addie, we're so excited for you and everything that you're going to do throughout your career. And we could get on a whole nother conversation here with with burnout and physicians and and stuff like that, too. I know you mentioned that and and want to just give you space for that. Like we are the burnout is real. Yeah. And I can't imagine from, you know, med school and everything, too. And I know pandemic med school, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, personally, like, I mean, especially through FIGS, we have been able to hear other physician stories and stuff and just the struggle of like, residency and everything like that. I know it's 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 going to be a lot. And yeah. I just hope that you are still able to maintain a space for yourself and balance your creativity, because I feel like that's that's something that's always going to not, like, combat burnout, but... Really helps to not know that like one thing that's dragging you down so much in in life or making you feel burnt out or emotionally traumatized is mm-hmm. not necessarily everything that you know your world revolves around. So mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes I ramble too. I don't know if any of that just made sense, <laughs> oh, or it makes not, sense. So <laughs> it made sense. Addie, where can people uh, find you? Where can they find um, Black Motherhood Through the Lens? tell us all the things. So Black Motherhood Through the Lens, currently we have a website, um, blackmotherhoodfilm.com,
1: where you can watch the trailer. The documentary is not publicly available, but if you're interested in screenings, there's information on how to contact me regarding that. I also have a personal website uh, that I actually just I guess I haven't done a full launch, but I have a personal website now. Um it's atashanobi.com and I'm also on Instagram, at a, that's Nigerian. and I'm on Twitter at a underscore ashinubi. So that was a mouthful. So I'm sure you'll, you know, you'll be able to read all of the ways to follow the film and me. So yeah.
0: Well, Doc, we can't thank you enough for joining us here in the WellMed. Um, I'm sure you've got at least some rest or food or something that you need to do tonight (laughs) to take care of yourself. So thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we can't wait to see what you do. Thank you. So great to chat with you both. Um, And I appreciate you holding space for this. So Jack and I are trying to keep, You know, interview is a little bit more digestible to the point, digestible, not so maybe not (laughs) not so sidetracked, not so tangential. But do you all like that? Like, do you like what would you rather have? Would you rather have a long form podcast or something that you can easily listen to on your way to and from work? They're probably like, We just want the two of you to shut the fuck up and get to the interview.
2: Just kidding.
0: (laughs) They wouldn't listen to us every week if they thought that. Unless they're rage listening to us for our rants on women's health and the right for abortion and stuff like that. Which, hey, thanks for the downloads. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) All right, Ade, we... Cannot wait to see what you do. Please, please, please remember us when you are super famous and wanted everywhere for your brilliant brain and photography skills and documentary skills. Everyone, please make sure go follow her. You can find her at Instagram, like she said. At Aid the Flygerian. I love following everything that she posts on there, and we will link everything else in the show notes, her website, and the Black Motherhood Through the Lens website as well. As always, thank you so much for coming to the Woman and listening to us every week. We love all of you, and if you love this episode, share it. That'd be even even sweeter. We would uh, we'll send you a mental hug to everyone who <laughs> posts <laughs> that they're listening. But yeah. I guess on that note, let's wrap it up. Womad,
1: out.